Welcome to Behind the Headlines, the weekly SilicagaNews.com podcast where we take you behind the stories we tell and report here at SilicagaNews.com. I'm your host, Michael Brannon. On today's episode, we have a special guest, gubernatorial candidate for the state of Alabama, Tim James. We're sitting down talking about everything from gambling to medical marijuana and everything in between. We are not leaving a stone unturned. That's on today's episode of Behind the Headlines. Stay with us. Doing some home remodeling or backyard projects? A home equity line of credit from Heritage South Credit Union can help you get that project done in no time with a low application fee, low rates, and convenient access. Call 256-245-4776 today to speak to an expert about Heritage South Credit Union's home equity line of credit. Heritage South Credit Union, your community credit union. NMLS number 712492, Equal Housing Lender, federally insured by NCUA. Ever feel like you're missing from your own life just because you always have to run off to the bathroom? Those days are over. Be the star of your own life again with BTL Amsella. To learn more about Mcella treatments and how they can help you, visit ChildersburgClinic.com. back into Behind the Headlines. On today's episode, we have a very special guest in the studio, gubernatorial candidate for the state of Alabama, Tim James. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Michael, good to be here. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So you, uh, according to your, your campaign and to your website, faith, family, and freedom are three of your biggest key components that, uh, that you really um, are running on. Talk about each of those three and why they're important to you. Michael, you, you may remember you may not, but uh, ten years, but in 2010, that's 12 years ago, I ran for governor and I, I lost the governor's race by a whisker, and I thought I was done, and uh, went on about my life. I have three adult children, all married, and three grandbaby boys. We started a company to build bridges, as a matter of fact, about three or four years ago, and uh, by surprise, I, I felt this call about a year ago to, to really begin to think about uh, politics again. And it, it was just one of those things. And over the months of the last year, my family and I uh, really made a, a decision at Thanksgiving that I'd get in, get in this race for governor. And the reason I'm here is very simple. I think the nation is hanging in the balance. We've been on a slide for half a century, and it's... Uh, We've lost our foundation, our Judeo-Christian, our roots. Uh, it's manifested in a lot of things. You know, we, we removed prayer from schools. We have abortion on the man, 70 million unborn children. The lives have been snuffed out. We have uh, allowed the federal courts to unconstitutionally uh, redefine marriage. All these things, and then you wake up and you look at the nation today, and you wonder who we are. You know, the, these things are, are gone. And then this pandemic hit. And, you know, this is interesting, Michael. It, it, you know, this nation has been shaking. And the pandemic scared people. It scared everybody early on. 
And then we saw these force mandates just pushing people into this, this, this point uh, where they had to choose between a, uh, taking it or bankruptcy. And I think now we're, we're seeing an, an awakening in a nation. And I think the nation is self-reflective. They're beginning, we, the nation itself is beginning to look at where it really sits. And I think I just happened to, because of my, my background, my family, I have a very clear understanding of where we are in this state and beyond that. And I think Alabama's a special place. Uh, Alabama has, over, over these decades, has not really gone the way of the, the world in many, and that's, that's good. And I think Alabama's going to play a very important role in leading the nation on things that really matter in the years ahead. Your dad was a former two-term governor of the state of Alabama, if your name sounds familiar to people, not only because of your, uh, your run at governor before, but also because of That's your right. dad. What have you learned from him and his time as governor that you can apply to your race now? And he was, he's the only governor in history that, uh, of, of our state that served as governor as a Democrat and a Republican. Of course, he was elected in the, in the late 70s. Everybody were Democrats. And you really do learn a lot uh, about just the nature of, of politics, the good and the bad, and the ugly. You know, we have it all. Um, but I think I also, in my family, we, we, we were thinking, and, and this is as early as college, we really, and this is kind of weird too at that time, but really we're thinking about constitutional questions and what the proper role of government is. And a lot of that was, was driven by our belief in, in the separation of powers doctrine at the federal and the state level, but primarily at the federal level because we, my dad and we very much understood what we were watching uh, in the 80s, the 60s, 70s, and the 80s on these rulings, these federal court rulings, and basically what they were doing, what they couldn't do uh, at the ballot box they did by judicial fiat. And so this stuff has been sort of indwelled in my family in how to think about it. And to be totally honest, I guess uh, I have been waiting my entire adult life uh, for such a time as this. That we're in a moment, and, and you know, Michael, everybody senses it in, you know, in their gut. They, everybody senses we're in one of those moments that we need to get it right, and this nation has got to, to turn this, this state and this nation around. Now, you know, only God can heal a nation, but we have a role to play, and governors now are the firewall. Governors, for the first time in, in my life, are beginning to step into the constitutional and the governmental authority that's really been there all along, but, but they just didn't get it. But now they really do because the people are reacting to, you know, their, their gut and they're recognizing where we are. And we're looking at our children and our grandchildren. And this is what drives people first. God is first, but family. And, I, and that's, why, that's why this is so important. You're running against Governor Ivey. She has been a family friend of your family for more than 40 years. Have you talked to Governor Ivey at all during this process? If so, what about and what do you specifically look to fight against what she has done? 
Yep. Uh, my dad gave Governor Ivey, I, I think, her first job in his cabinet-level position in his first administration. She has, in fact, been a, a friend of our family. And this is not about her uh, or me. This is about uh, our state at, a, at, a, at an important time. And I've been very disappointed. Uh, she's she's a, a nice lady. But I... I stand back, and I watched this for months. I watched how she uh, served this state through this season. And, and a lot of harm has been done. Um, I think she's overwhelmed. And I first saw it when the vaccine mandate started. And I, you know, I stood very hard against against forcing people to to take this vaccine against their will. I mean, we've never seen that before in the history of this nation. I mean, the idea that a government, in this case, state government, UAB, for example, they told uh, thousands of public employees at UAB, either take this vaccine or you're going to be fired. And we're talking doctors, nurses. And I, I was watching this drama play out. It's like a movie. And there was no understanding. No one in government seemed to understand the magnitude of what the callousness of what they were doing. They were saying, look, we're going to bankrupt these Alabama citizens if they do not fall in line and do what we say and take a vaccine that had really only been around a year and a half at that point. And the funny thing about it, or the ironic thing about it, was it was a hospital. In a, in a hospital is where sick people are, and it is the primary frontline caregivers, 38% or so, that had, didn't want to take the vaccine, that they were threatening to fire. And then I watched this mandating mask of children in our public schools against their parents' wishes. And we've known for now for a year to a year and a quarter that 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 this should have ended way even prior to that. So now you have kindergartners, first, second graders who have never been to class without a mask. And now we know the damage that is done is, is untold. They're behind in their studies because if you if you put a mug on and you speak, children learn by looking at others and their, as their lips move, they, they learn by the sound. That's how they learn to speak. And with a mug, you can't hear the sound of a D or, it's, or a C in cat. So they're falling behind. That's, how, that's what phonics is. That's how you learn to read. And then there's an emotional toll that's been, that, is, that is just uh, very upsetting. Children, little ones, we know this, are always grabbing at their mask, their mom or their dad's wearing. And what they're doing, they're not playing. They're trying to pull the mask down so they can see their mom or their dad's face. It, it's reassuring to them. So this stuff has just been going on. And so, you know, you have school systems that are mandating it, forcing it against parents' wishes. And there's only one person that can stand in that gap and say, we're not going to tolerate this. And that is a governor. And Governor Ivey, for whatever reason, and I do not know, has allowed this to go on and on and on. 
And then there, there are other issues that we just disagree on. I, I mean, this gas tax, a 55% tax at one time, basically, or in one window, is unheard of. I've never, you know, on a percentage basis, we, we've done some research, and we cannot find, and maybe there's something that we haven't found, we cannot find any situation where we have seen a 55% increase in any tax in the history of this state. Let, let me expound upon that for just a minute. Your, your latest TV ad says, quote, KIV's gas tax increase goes up automatically without a vote forever. That's the escalation clause. That's and, the other part of it. That's the worst part. And, and it was done without a vote. How, how is that done and how do you repeal it? No. This is what it was. This is it goes up automatically without a vote. So that you had an original increase of ten cents, which is that was the fifty-five right. percent increase over two to three years. But there's an escalator on it, and it's tied to an index, and it goes up forever. So when your grandbabies are eighty, due it's, to inflation, or uh, yes, it's, it's an oil index. Right. It goes up forever. So future generations don't have the ability to vote. It's just automatically, it'd be the same as if our state income tax, which is 5%, was going up every year. So next year, it's high to an index, it goes up to 5.2%, 5.4%, forever and ever, for the next millennium. And you're thinking, what, what were they thinking? And, you know, there's an old saying, you know, pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered where they they the special interest they're going to get slaughtered here because we've exposed it so that the ad that you're speaking of is really focused primarily on the escalation because it is the most unusual it's offensive it's offensive that any government would would put an automatic escalator in any kind of state tax it doesn't matter whether it's an income tax or an, or a sales tax or a gas tax without future generations having something to say about it. So it needs to be repealed immediately. Uh, the, the gas tax in general needs to be paused, and uh, the governor should pause it tomorrow. I believe Georgia's governor, Governor Kemp, has done that. He's done uh, that, and, and, and just take a breather, because what happens is this. It's a dime true when they pass the gas tax, the original dime on a buck 80 gas is different than adding a dime to $3.85, $4 gas. Because once, once you're paying that much for, to fill up your gas tank, that's, that's very, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's painful, it's, it's, you know, it's obtrusive, but it's everything else. So now everything you're buying, groceries, all these things, it's, it's, you're just building up this mountain of cost that's um, putting people in a terrible pinch. What they should have done on the gas tax, and I'm a road guy. I mean, I'm not a guy that says, yes, you got to maintain your roads. It's not unreasonable to think that from time to time you're going to add a few cents here and there allocated to roads. But aside from the insane and irresponsible escalation clause, I mean, that's, that's crazy. Uh, what they should have done, they should have put a three or four, maybe a five cent if they want when it was a buck eighty, but they should have put a trigger. And a trigger says if oil or gasoline got to a certain point, it comes off, goes back down, it goes back on, and, and, and when it's on, it's, it's filling up a, a bucket, a fund, to build roads. 
that, that's the responsible way to do it. I guess nobody bothered to, to, to Google a chart, an oil chart, and a gas chart. And you're going to see if you look at it over a 30-year, if it goes, sometimes it goes way up, you know, and you get these crazy swings. It's a commodity, just like anything else. But, but they didn't. And so as, we, as this stands today, uh, I'm calling for the governor to immediately uh, repeal the escalation and pause this, this tax, and it should be repealed, uh, and start over from scratch if you want to do that. The other thing that we're talking a lot about is the grocery tax. It's time to repeal the, the grocery tax on essential uh, food items. Once and for all, only a few states still tax food. You are a businessman. You are an entrepreneur. I know that between your time, of course, you've always been in business and an entrepreneur, but between the time that you last ran for governor and now you have focused on uh, your business and being an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. what elements of those aspects of life apply to running a state government? A lot. But business is not exactly government. It's different. I mean, and when we're in business, we are profit-driven. Uh, government is not profit-driven. It's it's and it, but it's it's like sort of two sides of the same coin. The principles are the same. For example, take the Department of Transportation as an example. Um, it is a huge department, almost a billion dollars in just in state taxes go into the, plus the federal matching dollars that comes in. And roads are a big deal everywhere. And you should, you know, the taxpayers should demand that their gas taxes, you get the most bang for every penny that you pay in tax and goes to Montgomery. And I can give you three examples right now. Uh, and we're talking big money. That the that the DOT is just totally mismanaged public money, and that money they could have taken. The, and we're talking uh, 60, 80 million dollars that should if had been managed properly, you could have paved a lot of roads in Talladega County, in Shelby County, and uh, in the short term, the the Mobile Bay Bridge over the you hear you see in the news, you know they spent spent 60 million bucks. Uh, and they've been squabbling for five years to build a bridge across Mobile Bay on, on I-10. They got nothing to show for it. There's even one crazier. You may have read about the the road they want to build from Mobile up up through West Alabama, Tuscaloosa. Call it for economic develop, development in the Black Belt, and you need it. I agree. But what they didn't tell you is that they want to do it with 100% state dollars. All right, and the ticket on it's about $700 million. Well, it makes no sense. And it's not the smartest thing that you ever heard because if you sink $700 million into one job, you forego $2.3 billion in federal matching dollars because the way it works is if a, if a job, if a construction project costs a million dollars, the state puts in 20%, which is 200000 the feds match it with 800000 okay? So if you burn up $700 million in state dollars or 700-something uh, thousand in state dollars, you're foregoing $2.3 in federal matching dollars. That's the dumbest thing that I've ever seen. 
So you you stand back and you, as a business guy, you look at this in an entirely different light, whereas politicians and bureaucrats, they just look at it like, well, it's just public money, who cares? And, you know, a businessman understands the pressures of business, understands the pressure of debt, the pressures of, you know, get if you get yourself in a fix financially, no one's going to bail you out, and government doesn't. So these are the sorts of things that a governor uh, with a business background, just instinctively, that's how they're going to think uh, before you even get to the the matters at hand. They're going to see it through those through those sorts of lenses. We're talking with gubernatorial candidate Tim James. Uh, Mr. James, you're getting into the nuts and bolts here mm -hmm. of some topics of your campaign that you are running on gambling to start. Lottery and casinos, sports betting, the whole nine yards in the state, mm -hmm. you're opposed, why? Well, gambling doesn't solve anything. Um, gambling of all sorts is probably the most studied industry in America. It's well understood. And this is these are the simple facts. And it's not just, this is casinos and lottery, so it's both. Right. Now, if you polled casinos in the lottery in Alabama amongst Republicans, what you're gonna find is most Republicans uh, are very much against casinos. They're not that negative. They're not that kind of negative on the lottery. So they see the lottery a little bit different, but the effects are the same. And this is this is the this is the reality of it. Um, the poorest one third of our people put half the money into gaming, and that's that's both that's casino and the lottery. That's number one. Number two, they will tell you that, oh, if we do this, then we're going to use this money for, 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 you know, it's going to be a great economic driver. We're going to put it in education and all these things. Not true. The social cost is greater than the economic benefit in every case in this country. So this, this idea that gambling somehow is a panacea for anything is just not true. And their dishonesty is, is over the top. Now, if the gambling boys came to Talladega County and they said, we're going to put a casino up near the racetrack and they're going to, and they'll start, they'll start talking all about the, you know, if they just were honest and said, look, we don't care about the people. We don't care that it's, it's lower income people that are going to be giving us these billions of dollars. We just want the money. That's honesty. But they don't do it. They look for it. They, they, they put this stuff. It's a total, uh, it's the biggest con in, in, the, in the country. Now, the, uh, the lottery in Georgia is a very interesting case study. The Hope Scholarship. You remember it. You know, it, I guess it, they did it in the 90s, mm -hmm. and it, it was a great success because everybody was playing the lottery. And it, and, it's and funding education. It's funding kids' uh, education to the University of Georgia, Tech, all the rest of them. Well, this is where it is today. The same dynamic exists there. The people that are buying the lottery tickets in Georgia are the lowest one-third. Now, those HOPE scholarships to get into those flag the flagship universities in Georgia, you have to, I mean, it's as hard to get into Georgia as it is Virginia or Duke. And so the, the, the kids that are scoring the highest on the ACT are the only ones that are getting in. Well, guess who's scoring the highest? 
rich kids. So in Georgia, with the Hope Scholarship, the poorest families are funding the wealthier families' free ride to the University of Georgia, and that was never intended. So the truth is, is it is not a panacea. Now, gambling of any sort never really comes to a governor's desk. People don't understand that. It's a constitutional amendment, so if the legislature passes it, it goes straight to the ballot. Governor can't even vote veto it if they wanted to. But as a governor, I would certainly go to the people of Alabama, and I would lay this out and I'd say, do you really want to do this? This is not a fix. If you, if you just want to gamble because you want to gamble and you're willing to take the cost that comes with it, fine. But do not buy into this nonsense that it's going to fix anything. It's not. And the money that it, quote, raises in public as a function of the cost of public education, our education budget this year was $8.1 billion. It's a, it's, it's a smidgen. It's a tiny fraction. Well, you're, you're taking into our next, uh, my next topic is education. Alabama's education uh, standard or standing, I should say, in the entire country is extremely low. You are, from from your perspective, that needs to be turned around. And I think for the majority of of Alabamians, they would agree with you. How do you go about doing that? That's a well, tall task. Well, Michael, you're being very generous to use the word low. We're not low, we're bottom of the barrel. But we always weren't. In 2009, we were 39th in reading. In 2005, we were 27th in math. So think about what we're saying. Over the last decade to a, to a decade and a half, revenue has been cr rising at a rate of twice the rate of inflation into the education trust fund. And at the same time, we've gone from those rankings, we, it, we've crashed. So this proves one thing. There is no direct correlation between dollars spent and level of education. We've always known it. So we're at the bottom of the pack. In fact, we used to say, well, thank God for Mississippi. And now our friends to the west say, well, thank God for Alabama. So we have a very serious issue. And if we do not get this under control now, it could, it could be take generations. Number one, you got to get discipline back in the classroom. I cannot tell you how many teachers across this state I have talked to. They look you in the eye and say, I cannot teach. I have 23 kids in my class. Two are total disruptions. Day after day after day, I am a babysitter. And I have 21 that want to learn, but we can't. At some point, those two have to be removed so she can or he can teach that class and these other children can learn. That's important. On that point, of those children that are misbehaving, they fall into two categories. One of them may be a special needs child and need that sort of attention, and you have to recognize it, and you have to fund it. The other child probably just needs tough love and discipline, and we need to set up a system of alternative system where these children can be put in an environment and with proper training and teach these children uh, in a different way, teach them character, teach them honesty, uh, require that they, they live by a set of rules and these sorts of things. But they cannot be allowed to disrupt 
the other 20 or 21. Number two, where you have strong principles, you're going to have an improving school. This, that's the way it is, like a coach. You can take a great, strong uh, principal, put them in a failing school, it's going to get better. The opposite's true. If you take, you can send a weak principal uh, into Mountain Brook, and it's going to go this way. So you have to do that. So you have to get these, you have to get the best principals in this country. You have to get them into the underperforming schools. You've got to give them full carte blanche authority to do whatever it is they need to do, and you hold them accountable. Now, I'm not going to compare, say, Selma High School to Vestavia, okay? But I am going to compare Selma High School to Selma High School the year before, and if it's going up, they're doing their jobs. They're increasing. They're getting better. That's performance. 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 And they should be paid accordingly. I am a strong advocate of what is now called school choice. Now, what that means is this. Uh, right now, the funding that goes into a school goes in on a per-child basis. Right? And so you have these underperforming schools. This gives a parent or parents the ability, and it doesn't matter who you are, rich, poor, black, white, anybody, to take the money that is allocated to that child in that school and pull them out and get a voucher or a tax credit and go to any other public school that they want to that may have a slot or any private school that will accept the vouchers. Charter schools, same thing. Homeschool. Homeschool is an interesting one because of the COVID, the numbers have gone through the roof. And homeschool children really score about 40% above the national average. So now all of a sudden you have created, created this competition inside the school system. Uh, the governor is chairman of the uh, State Board of Education. And, you know, generally the, the big question you get, Michael, is, is how are you going to get this done? They're going to say, James, you're dreaming, man. There's just no way because this is going to take constitutional changes because you're dealing with money, uh, statutory issues, and this is how you're going to do it. First of all, when I finish with this campaign, and if I win this election, uh, by the time we get to that, every mom and dad across this state are going to know full well where, where they stand. And I can tell you, when it dawns on a parent, where we are now, they spend, they send 87% of their taxes that go to Montgomery, go into public education, and we're, we've, we have tanked. You can see the steam coming out of their ears. So there's an opportunity right now uh, for, for systematic change. I intend to deconstruct the education system as we know it and reconstruct it from the bottom up, and I will go into every county, into every city, in town hall meetings, radio, the whole thing, and I am going to explain to the people of Alabama what I intend to do, and they are going to they're going to they're going to be all in. And so, when your legislature, your friendly local legislator, goes home, he comes to Sylacauga, Talladega, wherever. He goes to church, he goes to the drugstore. People look at him and say, you better support Governor James' reconstruction plan or else. That is called the bully pulpit. And a governor wills extreme, uh, uh, a very large amount of influence 
if he's willing to use the bully pulpit. The problem is nobody wants to. No one wants the no one wants the battles. No one everybody just sort of wants to get along. And where you if you do not have tension in government, or another way of putting it, if all the structures in Montgomery are happy, I can assure you that the taxpayers and the citizens and the children are getting left behind. And that's how government works. Government by its very nature, exist for itself and not for the public. And the governor's role is to step into that gap and say, no, you're not going to do this. And that's what's been going on. The only way that Alabama could fall that far, that fast, is there has been a complete ineptness in Montgomery it's almost as if they're on another planet and they're just watching this, this tank, this, this Titanic sink, and it's somebody else's problem. It's not. It's our problem. There's an economic component to this I want to mention. The company comes to Alabama, all right? Want to put a plant in wherever, Talladega County. 100 employees, 500, whatever. This is the way it's going to work. They're going to come to Alabama. They're going to look around the state. They're going to go and come up here, and they're going to talk to everybody and uh, look at the road system, look at your rail system, all the things that you do, right? And they're going to like this, and all the, you know, they're going to look at how, all the other components that they care about. But sooner or later, they're going to ask, well, tell me about your education. Tell me about your, you know, workforce development and education, K through 12. And somebody's going to say, well, we're not doing that good. What do you mean? Well, we're, we're, what do you mean? Well, we're dead last. What do you mean? We're dead last in the country, K through 12. That's like taking a, a gallon of freezing cold water and pouring it, pouring it into a meeting. So educating our children is a fundamental role of government. It starts K, one, two, three, like a laser. You have to focus. If a child in the third grade is reading and doing math at that level, it puts them on a trajectory like this to graduate and become a productive citizen. If they're behind in their reading and math in third grade, the trajectory is lower. They never catch up. They get to the third grade. They just keep passing them to get them through the process. They graduate, they give them a diploma, it's worthless, prison, and there you go, there's the, the cycle repeats itself. We see what's going on in Florida right now with what Governor DeSantis has mm -hmm. in front of him, um, this bill that is, um, re that is really kind of an overarching look at what teachers can and cannot teach in classrooms. Mm -hmm. How important is that to you to make sure that parents have the ability to say what can and cannot be taught. They should have tremendous say-so. And, of course, you know, the critical race theory. They'll say it doesn't exist. They'll say Common Core does not exist, and it absolutely does. And this, this math bill, this numerology, whatever they call it, the math, the numer, what's the word on that, is a $92 million ticket. It does not work. The Common Core standards are the same for everybody. Mm -hmm. They've been in place since about 09, 010, and look where we are. And we keep doing the same thing over and over and over. You know, sometimes 
Michael, um, and I think the money, the federal money, is what drives this. And you, you, uh, you let things go because you have become captive to the federal money. And there will become a day, I expect, when I'm governor, that I will tell them to keep their federal money. And you have to be willing to do that. Or you're Washington's puppet master. They're your puppet master. And we're watching it right now in public education. We saw it in our universities. Not just the UAB. I don't want to just pick on UAB. I mean, Auburn and Alabama. Uh, did the, you know, in Tuscaloosa, they did the same thing. You know, they, they started threatening them. Uh, either you're going to force everybody to get the vaccines or you're not going to get your federal money. And it's hundreds of millions of dollars. And so, you know, as long as you allow that to happen, uh, you are captive to a federal government. And if you have people running the federal government who are, um, are influenced by this controlling Marxist uh, doctrines, at some point you just have to say, no, we're not going to do it. And Alabama's going to step into that role. This is how it's going to happen, I think. Um, here we are, small southern states, as states go, for the most part, four and a half or five million people. But our voice is as big as anybody, California, New York, Pennsylvania, the rest of them. And a state that begins to say, no, we're, gonna, we're not going to do this. We're going to stand for what is right and what is true, and we'll take what comes. Other states will see that. They will see what, what courage and integrity is. And then they will say, I that's what we want to be. We will follow. We will follow strong leadership. We will follow what is true. And that is what's in store for this state in the years ahead. Let's talk about cancel culture for just a moment. Over the past few years, we've seen everything from canceling the police to just basic American values in general. What what in your world can you do as governor to ensure that basic rights and basic principles are not canceled for Alabamians? Well, as a governor, first of all, you're going to stand up uh, and use your voice to, to speak what is true, and you're going to defend, for example, police officers and not allow this, this one-sided attack on their character. Okay, but the cancel culture is 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 not new either. Now let me tell you what you what this really is. This is this is Marxism, and Marxism exists to destroy a nation from within, without a shot being fired. That's 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 what they're doing, and in this nation, uh, Marxists are very long term thinking. They attack the nation very, very, very smart in the 60s. And I mentioned it. And they were attacking this because they were infiltrating areas of influence in the nation. Some call it the seven mountains of influence. But, you know, media, education, corporate, family, church, all these academia. And so for these many years, they have influenced, been in influencing in those areas for the bad. Now, conservatives, Christian conservatives, Judeo-Christian conservatives, have really, over this half a century, have really only honed in 
on church and politics. Okay, so you have this this dichotomy that's going on over, over since the 60s. Well, all of a sudden this pandemic hit and now they've merged together and this and people and conservatives, Judeo-Christian conservatives now for the first time really are understanding where the the battles have to have to be fought and that's in all the areas of influence because that's what's happened and that's what marxists do they don't fight you straight up they don't it's not a they don't shoot you they just they do it slowly like a cancer metastasizing so to understand that is to understand how to deal with it and how to battle it we are in a battle for the soul of a nation that's what this is about this is the, the issues that we're sort of talking about, this common core and critical race theory and that dumbing down America. That's all part, that's just a Marxist right out of the playbook. And when you begin to understand what you're dealing with, it's much easier to battle it. And so battling it means as a governor, we're going to speak against it and we're not going to do it. And we're going to speak and we're going to, we're going to say, if you have to, we're going to stand alone, but our state will not go this way. We will not be a part of it, and especially in public education. We're not going to tolerate this stuff, and it's out there. And the thing about critical race theory, that you can say we're going to take it out of school books, but if, you, if, you, if an individual, if a teacher ver, uh, verbalizes this stuff, whether it's in the book or not, they're speaking that you know that's a, a teacher is an influencer of children right and so they hear they can hear this garbage and i don't think there's a lot of it but there is some and it, it begins to feed this stuff into the system this garbage it's garbage it's all it's not true i mean the they stand to divide that's what crt is about division based on the color of your skin martin luther king would would roll over in his grave. This is exactly opposite what Dr. King said. We judge him. We judge not by the uh, the color of our skin, but by the content of our heart. They're not in alignment with Dr. King. It's Marxism. Well, what we one of the things that we see here in the United States right now, one of the biggest overarching. Uh, problems that we have is illegal immigration, mm. if I can just get to that for just a second. Yep. Mobile's the port city. I'm from Mobile. The avenue that the port could potentially serve as a threat to illegal immigration could be quite large if it is not handled correctly. What would you do to ensure that it is not abused? Well, the state docks, uh, the governor obviously the director of state docs is a cabinet level position and that's a security measure. The primary routes of illegal immigration is the is a southern border states obviously Texas, Arizona. As governor, um, you know, Texas, Governor Abbott is over there and basically having to step into the role that is reserved to the federal government to uh, to control the borders. And so he's spending uh, a lot of Texas money uh, to do what the federal government's supposed to do. As, as the governor of Alabama, if asked, I will send Alabama's National Guard to Texas or Arizona, wherever I'm asked, to, 
to do, to be a part of it. Texas shouldn't have to pay for it all. And we should send treasure, not just troops, but treasure, if asked by the governors of those states to do that. I mean, this is not about every, you know, this, the, the argument, the, the lie to the argument is they're trying to say we're against, no one's against immigration of any sort. It's illegal immigration. And when you know, when you begin to really understand, and I, I, I know this, I, I went, I saw, I went to a, a refugee camp not long ago to, just to see children, most of them from Central and South America, that coyotes have brought through the border to get them into the U.S. And it's the, it's the saddest thing that I've ever seen in my life. And, uh, you know, they pay, the coyotes make a lot of money, and they're here. And, you know, what do you do? And if they know the, bo the border is now so porous, they're, they're being abused. Uh, the child trafficking is, is off the charts. It's off the charts everywhere. And I want to mention child trafficking. People, your listeners just need to be aware that it's a big deal. It's a lot bigger deal than most people recognize. And as governor, I'm going to deal with it at a, at a degree and a level that it hasn't been dealt with. But the border, the border, a nation without a border is not a nation. No nation in the world is doing what, what we're allowing to be done. And the idea, the plan is to, to deconstruct the nation as it, as it was intended. And, uh, you know, this president is, uh, is a very foolish man. And he has, there's no discernment in him. And he sees the world. I don't know if he always did. This new Joe Biden is not the Joe Biden that I think I remember 20 years ago. Nonetheless, he is the president, and he is responsible for his actions. Last question I have for you before we take a, a break. The Compassion Act is now in effect. This is Governor Ivey's uh, bill that she signed regarding marijuana. Mm -hmm. um, and according to your website, you say, quote, by supporting further research and development of cannabis-based drugs, we can compassionately help patients in need while protecting the public from marijuana cartels. Mm -hmm. How do you do this? Oh, my goodness. So the, let me explain to your viewers what happened. So Governor Ivey signed this law called, the, as you say, the Compassion Act. Now, let me warn you, Michael, anytime you see the name compassion or it's for the children you but that's like waving a red flag at a bull that's about something else uh for year forever marijuana based drugs have been available fda approved so your doctor if you have pain if you're on chemo or whatever your doctor can prescribe it and you go straight to cvs or walgreens and pick it up they didn't tell anybody that this has nothing to do with medicine this is the the biggest <clears throat> bait and switch to peddle marijuana on the street that we've ever seen in the history of the, of the state. And this is what the bill says. It's setting up a system under the guise of medicine. It has nothing to do with medicine. <clears throat> Where wealthy people with a lot of influence get licenses so they can put a dispensary, which is nothing but a pot shop, put one in Talladega. Silicaga, you name it, all the way, uh, Columbiana, every little town across the state. Now they say, but you, 
there, there's a, a doctor has to become a marijuana doctor to, so people would get a marijuana card and they can go buy the marijuana. Well, it, it requires a lot of continuing education for a doctor to do it. It takes four hours. So a doctor can sit at his computer from 8 o'clock till lunchtime, and he, now he's a marijuana doctor. And so the advertising is tremendous. I mean, you, go on, you can look at it on the Internet now. And so a guy says, well, I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm, I, I don't feel good, this or that. He goes to, he, to the doctor. He says, I don't feel good. Well, you ought to read the list of things that this marijuana can be used for. It's everything, everything except maybe a stump toe. I don't know. And so you go to this doctor, and, of course, he is, he's predisposed to give you your card. So this, you, you take it, and you go to the pot shop or the dispensary on the corner. You walk in, and there's a guy standing over there behind the corner, behind the counter. And he says, can I help you? And you say, yeah, I don't feel good, or this or that. Now, this guy who's selling you your marijuana, he's not a pharmacist. He has zero medical training. In fact, he may have been working at the car wash last week, selling you the pot for your medical ailment. It's the ins insanity. And furthermore, you can buy, under Alabama law, 70 doses of this medical, quote, marijuana. 70. No one needs 70 doses in your possession. For, for parents and children, I believe. Everybody. It, yeah. Per, in the household. So all of a sudden, this guy gets his 70 doses, but before he gets it, he has to pay for it, right? So he throws his Visa card across the counter to pay for his pot. Guy says, oh, we don't take credit cards. What do you mean? We're cash business. So he has to go to the bank to get cash to come back and pay for the pot. He walks out the door. He probably pops him a few gummies and goes and pedals the rest on the street. What this is about is a slippery slope to what their dream is, which is recreational pot. They, these people are wealthy people, tremendous wealth who are behind this. They're, they have pushed this through the legislature. They've paid the lobbyists. Why do, they you, have think it, why do you think it has gotten this far? Why do you think I the think, legislature has gotten it this far? I'll tell you how sick these people are, how twisted in the head. They hired a bunch of lobbyists. They took sick children, wheeled them into the legislature, said, you've got to help these children. They had no idea, first of all, this medicine exists, medical marijuana already existed at CVS, FDA approved. Nobody knew it. And they just, everybody, they bought into it. They didn't know the truth. Right now, in this state, uh, over half the district attorneys in this state begged Kay Ivey not to do it. She did it. The attorney general of this state, Steve Marshall, begged her not to do it. She did it. There's a list of medical associations with the American Heart Association, the American Cancer Association, all the way down. It's this long who have said, don't go down this road. These are the facts, Michael. States that have passed medical marijuana laws have seen an immediate 22% increase in opioid deaths. Number two, people that have used marijuana are six times more likely to abuse opioids.
this this story or this this uh narrative that pot that marijuana is not a gateway drug is absolutely not not true this this industry marijuana is studied i mean i have read that i mean we're talking in the best hospitals and research systems in this country from harvard on down and have said very strongly that you cannot do this that you are going to kill a lot of people because it is not the answer if we do not stop this if i am not elected governor this stuff is going to get entrenched very shortly we got one shot because i will get it appealed uh once it's entrenched it's it's almost impossible to get get undone I really appreciate you being here and spending some time with me today. When we come back, we're going to talk about your event that you're going to have at Harvey's on Noble on Friday, April the 1st. We're joined by Tim James, gubernatorial candidate for the state of Alabama. We'll be back on Behind the Headlines in just a moment. Ever feel like you're missing from your own life just because you always have to run off to the bathroom? Those days are over. star of your own life again with BTL Mcella. To learn more about Mcella treatments and how they can help you, visit ChildersburgClinic.com. People tell our tellers, lenders and representatives, they see us at events happening in your community all the time. There's a reason for that. With more than 450 volunteer hours every year, our team is dedicated to knowing you and what matters most. Heritage South Credit Union is your community credit union. Find out why more and more people are becoming members at myhscu.com. Heritage South Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA, an equal housing lender. Welcome back to Behind the Headlines, the weekly SilicogaNews.com podcast where we take you behind the stories we tell and report here at SilicogaNews.com. Joined by Tim James, gubernatorial candidate for the state of Alabama. Thank you so much for being here. We're wrapping things up. You have a meet and greet Friday, April 1st at Harvey's on Noble in Silicaga. Tell us about it and what people can expect. Well, I'm excited to come to Silicaga and I'm going to stir up the area. Look, Talladega County is a, a great place. and. Uh, we have a meet and greet, and I'd just like to invite everybody to come down. We're going to talk, answer questions, talk about uh, what we want to do for the state of Alabama. And, you know, I had, a, I had the opportunity a couple years ago to really spend some time in Talladega County. We were working on a project uh, uh, to build a bridge over the Coosa River that didn't work out, but we haven't given up. We just got to see how it goes. But I have just grown to just love this county. I love the people. And, uh, you know, I just hope a good, you know, on a everyone will come out. I also want to ask uh, your listeners, I want to ask you to join join this campaign, Michael. Uh, our website is timjamesgovernor.com. I'm looking, let me tell you who I'm looking for. Young, aggressive bucks like yourself, young, old, uh, rich, poor, black, white. I am looking for an army of rebels to join me, not the type of rebel that burns a building down. I'm looking for rebels who love this country, 
and recognize the moment that we're in. And in their hand, they carry the fire, the fire of truth and integrity, honesty, hard work, character. Character is a premium nowadays. I'm just a man. I'm just, uh, I'm just a vessel. I'm looking for an army. And we can take back this state. And if we do, we're going to lead the nation, as I've said, and we'll take back the nation one step at a time. And when I tell you, and I tell your listeners, it's going to start here in Alabama. And I'm not kidding. I'm serious. Tim James, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Yes, Good sir. to be here. Thank you so much. That does it for this episode of Behind the Headlines. We really appreciate you watching and listening wherever that may be. Thank you so much if you are listening to this on a podcast platform, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. Be sure to give us a five-star rating and share it with your friends and also do the same on social media. Until next time, we'll see you soon.